0: I've been in some churches where the person is praying and doing something like that, Then next thing you know, they break out in song again. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I had to smile. I have to tell you that I, I kind of thought when Connor was talking about, I wish you could have some, I didn't really believe I think he was saying that. <laughs> you know, so we, we, we look at that, and that's kind of fun, but... I still think he was focused on, on the food and stuff because although the announcement, things weren't wrong, in the, we didn't have wrong dates or times, we, we, we didn't have spring, we had fall because I still think he was focused on food items and he finally finally got some of it. And then he went back there and he put it down someplace, dude. Oh, well fun. Well, you know, it's. I was talking to my family and, and writing, texting my siblings, and I should put this on, shouldn't I? <laughs> Not thinking here. You know, spring is coming, isn't it? Whew! We've had a couple cold days, but we've also had some warm days. Looking at the forecast, we're going to have a couple of warm days this week. Some rain, which is okay, because that's a harbinger of spring, and... Um, So, but you know, it's great. It's great to have the moisture from heaven that isn't white, fluffy, and floating. So, we'll we'll take the other. Although we're going to talk in a couple weeks about that rain, that the moisture came. Well, that wasn't, not everyone thought that was good, but um, we won't have that again. But let's have a word of prayer. We're going to jump into things. And as we kind of look at the stuff in front of us just this morning, kind of looking forward to it. Let's pray together. Father, as we come back again, Lord, we are looking forward to spending time in your word. We're looking forward to, again, kind of looking at the things that you are doing. And, and also, Father, how you are kind of tracing history and looking at history and some of the things that I think you're communicating to us. And then, Father, just so that we can have hope. Father, I just would ask that you would guide our time this morning as we take time to look at your word, think through your word. Father, build good foundations in our lives, Father. Foundations that are secure, foundations that don't give, that don't move, that don't shift, but that are immovable. And Father, when we, Father, I think of the, the the parable of the one that built on that rock, firm foundation, versus those that built on the sand. Father, when we build on you, we are building on that firm foundation. It doesn't move. The storms of life and the the storms of history and time blow and rage. And yet, the building is not moved. But Father, when we build on faulty foundations, things move, things shift, and things fall down. And so Father, we don't want that. We want the security that comes from being grounded in you and your word and your truth. So, Father, as the storms of life blow, we can face those things, stand up in those things, and find security in you despite those things. Father, be at work in our time today, we ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, as we read this, this conversation, as we read the things that continue to take place, one of the things that's going to start to take place is we're going to see... A divergence taking place of two different lines. And we're going to look at those two lines. And I think as you'll look in the notes, you know, see as I talk about in the notes, I think these are two symbolic lines. First of all, you have the line of promise. So I would encourage you, you can follow along on the screen, but we see Genesis chapter 4 verse 25. Last week we talked about the fact that Cain... Killed Abel, and we we looked at Abel. Abel was honoring the Lord. Abel was following the Lord. Abel was listening to the Lord. The Lord had somewhere in in the process between the events that took place in the garden and now with Cain and Abel, God had communicated at some point in time that this is how I want you to worship me. This is how I want you to approach me. So as you acknowledge me, as you worship me, as you come before me, this is these are the things that are important to me for you to recognize and for you to do in that worship. And Abel was honoring the Lord. He came and he offered a sacrifice and the Lord received it and the Lord appreciated it and the Lord rejoiced in it. Cain brought a sacrifice his way. He decided to approach God not the way that God said we needed to come to him but he decided I'm going to do it my way. And God said to him, said, Cain, listen, you know I'm not receiving this. You know your face is downcast. You're unhappy because I'm not accepting of your offering. Cain, if you really want to worship me, if you really want to acknowledge me, if you truly are seeking to honor me, this is how you do that. And even in that conversation, it was clear that we were seeing one, Abel, who was choosing to honor God, who was choosing to walk with God, who was choosing to know God, and then you had Cain, who was going through the motions of worship, going through the patterns of, of doing religious stuff, but doing it his way, for his purposes. He was unhappy with the outcome, but he wasn't choosing to listen to God. He was going his own way. And again, we see and we recognize that even when God said, Cain, sin is standing at your door seeking to control you and manage you, you need to resist it, he gave in. And he killed his brother. Now, we read in, in verse then 25, Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Here's the key. Look at this. It was in place of Abel. I think again we are talking about a son who represents an identity. Identifies the pathway of those who choose to honor God, who walk through the pathway of promise, who walk through the pathway of blessing, who are reminding us of the promise of hope that God is going to continue to bring blessing, that God is going to bring a solution to the issue of sin. So, as I walk through this and I process through these things, what I want you to see, first of all, is that we have two symbolic lines. And the first line, the line that now goes through Seth, is the line of promise. But we have the second line, that line that comes from Cain. And I would suggest that this is the line of wandering. Now, let's go back to verse 13 in chapter 4 and kind of look at that again and see what is taking place. It says, But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth. And I must hide from your presence and become a reckless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out of the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of the garden, or east of Eden. Now, Cain goes to Nod. Anyone know what Nod means? Wandering. Now, did he go to the city of Nod? The country of Nod? Or are we talking about he went to the place of wandering? Now, it might have eventually become called Nod. Nod because that's where he wandered and we read in here that eventually he's going to establish a city but he went to the land of wandering and so as I look at this we see the line of those who wander now a number of things I see taking place in here that really stand out to me first of all for those who wander God is the bad guy isn't he? God, my consequences are too much. You're being unfair. Look again, verses 13 and 14. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth. Did God banish him from the face of the earth? No. No. In fact, he was going to spend the rest of his life wandering on it. Now, the consequence of his rebellion, the consequence of his murder of his brother, and a consequence for his hubris in in bringing worship that he felt was acceptable instead of bringing the worship that God said was acceptable, is that God said, the land is no longer going to produce for you The way it had been producing so far. So maybe that's why he was saying, I've been banished from the earth. Because now when I work the ground, it's not going to respond to my effort and energy. And it's not going to produce the fruit I'm looking for it to produce. So maybe that was his attitude and why he was saying, I've been banished from the land. But he has not been banished from the earth. He was going to travel it for the rest of his life. And then he makes this next statement. And I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me is going to kill me. Now, pause for a second. I'm being too loud. (laughs) Affirmation. Now, this whole process going on, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Did God say, I don't ever want to see you again. I don't ever want to talk to you again. I don't ever want a relationship with you. Is that the language that God used? No, no! it is not the language God used. He rebuked him, and he said, this is not how you worship. This is not how you enter into relationship with me, Cain. If you want to enter into a relationship, if you want to worship as, if you truly want to worship, this is what you're going to do. Just as today, when we talk to people about a relationship with Jesus, we say, if you really want a relationship with God, you come to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And we will we'll have conversations with people about issues of faith in Christ, and they'll say, well, I do good, and I do go to church here, or I do this, and I do that. And they will walk through all of the religious things, or life things, or value things that they do, and they say, I don't need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I don't need to acknowledge that I've sinned and fallen short of God's standards, and then put my faith and trust in Jesus. There's other stuff that I'm going to do. And God would come back and say, well, if that's really what you're saying, then you're really saying to me that you really don't want a relationship with me because I've identified and spelled out for you what it means to have a relationship with me. And if you don't want to do those things, you're really saying you don't want a relationship. You want to feel good, you want to feel religious, but you're really not entering into a relationship with me. God didn't say to Cain, "I don't ever want to see you again. I don't ever want to talk to you again." And there's no pathway, no opportunity for you to ever be forgiven. He didn't say those things, but those are the assumptions and conclusions that Cain was making, and he's going to God. This isn't fair. And then I love the next one. It says. Cause if anyone sees me, they're gonna kill me. Now pause for a second. How many people are in the world right now? Probably from about here back, you're not here yet. <laughs> You guys must really have evil intent towards Cain. (laughs) Think about it. We're not talking hundreds of years or thousands of years. Where are we? 30 or 40 years from the garden? Now, Adam and Eve might have been busy. So maybe there's a number of siblings They wouldn't have filled this room. And I don't think it would have been as many people as we have in here now. And yet his response was, People are going to see me, and they're going to kill me. Now, later on, we don't know how long Cain lived. But when Adam died, we're going to look at this a little bit later, and he was, I think, 930. At that point in history... There were probably 100 to 200 million people on the earth. But that's 900 years later. It's not at the moment now. There's just a handful. And Cain's react- reaction and his response is God, you're not fair. I've been sinful, I've been belligerent, I've been willful, I've been intentional in my defiance against you, and now you bring in consequences, and it's not fair. Son, I've told you not to do this. I've told you a number of times that if you do this stuff again, you're going to be grounded. Hand me the phone, hand me the keys... You're gonna be home for the next two weeks. That's not fair. <laughs> and that's the reaction. Oftentimes, we look at things and we say to God, "It's what you're doing. It's not fair." And God is fair. In fact, He's being incredibly gracious because what Adam, or excuse me, what Cain really deserves is execution. That's what he really deserves. And instead what he is getting is he's being given time and opportunity for contemplation, for reflection, and for repentance. He's been given opportunity to reconcile with God. But instead, he creates in his mind barriers, obstacles, and reasons to go instead of reasons to be reconciled and restored. So we see the wanderer and we see people that in our world that wander. And oftentimes as you'll interact with them, God is the bad guy. He's being unfair, he's being unkind, he's doing things that shouldn't be done. And yet God, I think, is being incredibly gracious to Cain. And that's the next point I have here. God provides both grace and reminders. He still does today. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. God provide, provided assurance and a mark. You ever watch those TV shows, those detective shows on TV? Right? I saw the bad guy. He's got a tattoo right here. It looks like he's marked. God marked him we don't know where he exactly marked but every time he would look in a basin of water every sometime someone knew now over time there's a bunch of new people okay you know the room is filling up as the years go by there would be a bunch of new people hey what's that on your cheek what's that on your forehead what's that on your arm what does that mean how do you get that Reminder, reminder, reminder. The consequence of my life should have been, but instead God did. God gave grace and reminders. And so then again, we come to verse 16. Then Ken went, then Cain went away from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. East of Eden. And he chose to wander. He went to the land of wandering. He chose to go to the place that created space and distance from God. The prodigal son. Dad. I'm ready to have my inheritance now. So can you pony up? I'll be good. And when you're dead and gone, you don't have to worry about it. Leave everything else to my brother, but just give me stuff now. And you read the account. And what you don't read is this. And he bought the property next door, built a beautiful house, and created a farm for himself. Now it said he went to a far Country. He left the presence of his father. He left the influence of his father. He left the community of his father. He went far away so he wouldn't be reminded, so he wouldn't see, so he wouldn't hear. He went away. Cain chose to wander. Have you experienced that in people as well who choose to wander? You interact with people, sometimes it happens with children, and children decide they don't want, and they move away, they move out, they create distance, they create space. We also have that with friends or siblings. And as they are pressed with things of God, as they're pressed with what it means to walk with God, as they're pressed with with what it means to know God, and they, they decide, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to interact... Seeing seeing you, talking to you, and interacting with you reminds me of the things that we're talking about. So I'm just going to create distance. I'm going to create emotional distance. I'm going to create spatial distance. Um, I'm not going to talk to you a whole lot. I'm going to kind of move away. I'm going to move to a different state. I'm going to move to a different part of the country. I'm going to move to another country. I'm not going to send many personal cards, but I'll send you a birthday card, and I'll write my name at the bottom, but I'm probably not going to send a whole lot of notes. I'm not going to invite you to be on Facebook with me. I'm going to create space and distance. Because being reminded, and having relationship and having connection, reminds of what they're choosing to say no to. Now, here's some of the things that stands out to me. Wanderers wander. It's kind of plain and simple, but it's true. Wanderers wander. Look at verses 17 to 24. It says, So Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son Irad was born to Enoch. Arad fathered Mohujal. Mahujal fathered Methusael. Methusael fathered Lemek. Lemek took two wives for himself, one named Ada, and the other named Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the first of the nomadic herdsmen. Her brother was named Jubal. Or his brother was named Jubal. He was the first of all who played the lyre and the flute. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools, Tubal-Cain's sister was Nema. Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lemek. pay attention to my words. For I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged seven times over, then for Lemek it will be seventy-seven times. So when we talk about wanderers wandering, what was the fruit of the wanderers? A number of things. The first, you see a number of firsts in here. You see the first builder of cities. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. We see the first builder of cities. We see the first polygamist. Look at verse 19a. It says Lamech took two wives for himself. The first polygamist. We see the first nomadic herdsman. Look at verse 20. Ada bore Jabal, and he was what? The first of the nomadic herdsmen. He's the first guy to ride the horses across the plains and herd the sheep or goats or whatever else they, they would herd. He was the first of the, the migrant people that followed the seasons and followed the water and followed the tides. And He was the first of the nomadic people to do that. How about the first to create music? His brother was Jubal. He was the first of all who played the lyre and the flute. Again, we're, we're, we're early in history and so there's going to be a lot of firsts going on. And you probably had people humming, you probably had people singing, but you probably didn't have a whole lot of people accompanying. And he said, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have something to accompany? And, and we don't know how he got the idea, and we don't know how it all formed, but the first to put together and, and create the lyre and the flute and to play the lyre and the flute. We kinda It's kind of nice having someone strumming the guitar or playing the pianos and having a little drum. It it kind of moves you along and helps you pray sometimes. It's great. And that's what's going on. I think maybe we see the first real metal worker. Look at verse 22. Zillabore, Tubal, Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. All kinds of bronze and iron tools. Little hint here when we think about Noah and his ark, you're probably not talking about an unsophisticated society. You're not talking about an untechnologically developed culture. You're talking about people who know how to make things that last and that don't bend and don't break. You're seeing people entrenched in their arrogance and in their sin. Look at Lamech and his comments in verses 23 and 24. Ada and Zula, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words. For I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for strike you mean now some commentators are not convinced is he talking about one guy who's young or is he talking about two people I'm thinking it's probably one but he's boastful about the fact that he just killed somebody if Cain is to be avenged seven times over I'm 77 times more Let him come. I'm going to get him. The bravado. There was pride and pleasure in the evil he had done. There wasn't remorse. There wasn't sorrow. There wasn't regret over the loss of life. The bravado of sin. What were the wanderers missing? There's a glaring absence as we look at all of the wanderers. Those who knew and walked with God. Not a single wanderer was defined as someone who walked with and knew God. Not a single one. You know what's interesting as we look at history and we listen to our world and we listen to our culture? We spend all sorts of time celebrating inventors and builders. We celebrate all sorts of people who do things that our culture says were significant and important. People who sailed across oceans. Tomorrow, people who were presidents. People who were influential forces in the flow of history, like Caesar or Alexander the Great. Or people who built things that still exist, like pyramids and sphinxes. We take time over history to celebrate these people, people who develop telescopes that look at the stars and who have discovered planets, or who develop microscopes and look inside of plants. And we have awards that recognize people in the scientific tech areas the Nobel Prize, and we recognize people every year for advancements in what we consider important areas of technology and society. We have movies about these people. We tell stories about these people. We write books about these people. We have TV shows about these people. We celebrate them. But we don't see a lot of those people usually celebrated and rejoiced in and elevated who have known and walked with God. And when our secular culture tells the story of a person who walked with a new God, that's not often usually the primary prominent front and center point of consideration. Our culture will usually treat it as a secondary ancillary component while the important things are the things that our culture lifts up up and elevates. But when you look at the wanderers. There were achievements and significant things that they did, but the pinnacle of their achievements were highlighted, but none of them walked with a new God. They're continuing to choose to walk in the pattern of walking or wandering away from God. They're wanderers. They're not coming home. They're wandering away. Now, why doesn't God outline the success of the line of promise? Look at verse, we'll pick up in chapter 4 verse 25 and I want to just read through and listen. Adam was intimate with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth for he said, "For she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, also and he named him Enosh. At that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the document containing the family records of Adam on that on the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Big deal. So these two verses, really quick, say some really significant, powerful things. And reminding us of things that have already been discussed, but reminding again: man was made in the image of God. We reflect. God nothing else in cu- in our culture nothing else in our world reflects God we were made in the image of God Whoosh, click how do you make that picture sound Whoosh. you take it pick it hold it out we see a picture an image we were made to reflect the image of God because we reflect because we have the image of God we were created in the image of God we reflect People see us, they should be seeing the reality of God. We're made in His image. We're unique and distinct. On that day God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created him male and female, binary. And when they were created, He blessed them and called them mankind. Again, in our culture today, we're wrestling with the term mankind because we're making it man-centric. So we're trying to come up with other words to define humanity and because we're busy trying to take the word man out because we don't want to bring attention to the man and not overlook the woman. But that's what's taking place in our culture. But God called them mankind. But we continue. Adam was 130 years old when he fathered his son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Adam lived 800 years after he fathered Seth, and he fathered other sons and daughters, plural on both. So Adam's life lasted 930 years, then he died. Seth was 105 when he fathered Enosh. Seth lived 807 years after he fathered Enosh, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Seth's life lasted 912 years. Then he died. Enosh was 90 years old when he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived 8,815 years after he fathered Kenan, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Enosh's life lasted 905 years. Then he died. Kenan was 70 years old some couple of these guys start a little bit early and others wait way into their hundreds. Kenan was, but isn't that kind of funny we're saying they start a little early and they started at 70. They started at 60. 65. Boy. You guys are spring chickens. You're you're hurrying. Enosh was 70 years old when he fathered the hell out Kenan lived 840 years after he fathered Mahaliel and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Kenan's life lasted 910 years. Then he died. Mahaliel was 65 when he fathered Jared. Mahaliel lived 830 years after he fathered Jared and he fathered other sons and daughters. Mahaliel's life lasted 895 years. He was shortchanged in the eyes of some. Then he died. Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. Jared lived 800 years after he fathered Enoch and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch life lasted or Jared's life lasted 962. I think he's number 2 on the longevity list. Then he died. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. So he didn't die. But God took him. As I've heard an old preacher talking about it, they said, yeah, God and Enoch were going for a walk and having a conversation. And as they kind of came to the evening, God said, well, you know, Enoch, you're closer to my home than your home. Why don't you just come home with me? That's kind of how one of those old preachers kind of said it, kind of in a fun way. But God took him. But he didn't die. Methuselah was 187 years old. He was He was he was not as slow as as Noah but Methuselah was 187 years old when he fathered Lamech Methuselah lived 782 years after he filed Lamech and he fathered other sons and daughters so Methuselah's life lasted 969 years then he died he was the longest living guy that we know of Lemek was 182 years old he like father and son but he fathered a son and he named him Noah saying this one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed Lemek lived 595 years after he fathered Noah and he fathered other sons and daughters so Lemek's life lasted and he was really short changed 777 years then he died Boy, isn't it crazy to say someone lived 777 years and we're saying, boy, he was gypped? You're like, oh my goodness. I don't want, I don't want to make it past a hundred. Don't, don't tell me about seven hundred and seventy-seven. He keeps i going, Noah was five hundred years old and he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's crazy. We don't see any statement of big achievements that our world would describe and talk about as big achievements. And if you're talking about the amount of time that's lapsed here now, one commentator said 1,656 years from Adam to Noah. You're talking about probably in the world at this point in time Hundreds of millions of people, maybe a billion or two. Think about this. How many billions of people are in our world right now? Seven, eight billion people? There were maybe a million to two million two thousand years ago. And now we're in the billions. You're talking about people also that lived a really long time. And they didn't have just one or two. They had sons and daughters. Long periods of time which they're having families. You're talking about hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people at this point in history. Three key verses stand out. Verse 26 of chapter 4. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Have a little bit later? Verse 24 of chapter 5. Enoch walked with God. and then he was not there because God took him. And happened a verse we didn't read yet. We'll, we'll look more at next week, but verses eight and nine of chapter six. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Can I offer you an opinion? I think there's a reason why God didn't talk about the big accomplishments of these guys in chapter 5. Because the big accomplishment of of their lives was not in the instruments they created or the cities they established or the worldly perspective things that they did. I think the big achievements of their lives were their walking with God. See, so I think sometimes we get it really wrong. And we look at our walk with God and we look at our relationship with God as an alongside thing but we are really living sometimes doing other things we see the other things that we're doing as really the important things those are the really significant things of life and history And I would suggest to you that part of what's going on is that God is highlighting and identifying that the really significant things about these guys is that these guys are people who walked with me. These are people that knew me. These are the people who are the pathway of promise. And the significance of their journey was not those unimportant things of things they invented or things that they accomplished that the society would look at and cheer. The significance of their journey is that they, God says, knew me. They walked with me. They had a relationship with me. They chose to pursue me. That is what's significant for them. And that's what God is celebrating. See, sometimes we get it backwards and we look at life achievements and God talks about the wanderers and he talks about their life achievements because that's the pinnacle of their accomplishment. But they hadn't reached that point of walking with God, knowing God and being transformed by God. So God couldn't celebrate them and put them on the other list because they didn't get there. But he focused in on those who walked with him and who knew him and and who were the pathway of promise and blessing. And they were celebrated. So what's greater? To have the history books record events that took place in our lives so others can see we invented this or we made that but all that disappears as time comes to an end or is it better to be acknowledged and to rejoice for eternity that we knew and walked with God what's better a couple thousand years of notoriety and by the way How much do you think Caesar is celebrating the fact, or Alexander the Great is celebrating the fact that history looks back at them as great men? I think they're totally clueless to the fact. I don't think it means anything to them. Or to be known throughout eternity as one who walked with God and to know that because we've walked with God to know it because God acknowledges it and to know that because we're in his presence forever and the one that we knew and the one we chose to follow the one we chose to have a relationship with reciprocates that relationship with us through eternity which is better? I'll finish with this question it's on the bottom of your notes If God was recording your core life achievement here if there was another chapter in Genesis and God says okay I'm going to continue my list of people who have walked and I'm what list are you going to be on What would he be writing Would he be adding you to the wanderer list Or would he be adding you to the line of promise? And what would he be writing? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity you give us to think through your word, to allow it to speak into our lives, to allow it to challenge us and to impact us. Father, I pray that as we take time to wrestle through that last question, what, Father, would you be writing about us? Father, what's great is that we are in a situation where we can continue to alter and shape and change what gets written. We have the freedom to make different, or maybe I could say better choices. Or maybe even just continuing the same choices because we're making great choices. Father, build into us the character of Christ. Build into us a passion and a desire to know you and to walk with you and to be defined by our relationship with you. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: heard today, especially that last question, requires a lot of introspection. If God was recording your core life achievement here, what would he be writing? It takes a lot of humble quietness, inspecting your heart. What do I love most in life? What am I focused on in life? Is it God or is it everything else here that will just end up meaning nothing five, ten, hundred years from now. Like take time today. If you're in a life group, take time with your life group this week. If you're not in a life group, get in one and reflect on that. God was recording your core life achievement here. What would he be writing? What do you love most? Will it matter when you stand before Jesus? Because only one thing will matter. And you close your eyes for the last time, and that will be that you trusted that Jesus was your only Savior from your sins, and you walked with Him. If you have questions on that, what does it look like to walk with God, or how do I trust in Jesus as my Savior, write that in the Connect card. We would love to reach out and have a conversation with you, but do some introspection, focus on eternity. What we're going to do now is going to pray. We're going to have the offering plates pass from the back forward. Um, As it passes you, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing to the great God who loves you so much, he wants a relationship with you. How amazing is that? So let's, let's go now before God. God, I thank you that even though we are rebels by birth, you love us and want a relationship with us that doesn't make sense. Lord, I pray that you will work in the hearts of everyone here, that if there are people here that don't trust in you as their Savior, they will see that you are their only hope. Lord, I, I pray for those that do know you, that we will love you more than everything. I pray, God, that we will be known for walking with you. We will known, be known for that by you, by the others around us. Please be working in our hearts. Bless life groups as they gather this week. Lord, I pray for the offering that you will use what is given so that we here can better learn how to walk with you, but also, Lord, most importantly, that others will be brought into a relationship with you, others here in Tom's River and around the world. Be working, God, in our hearts. Thank you for who you are. In your name, amen.